The following sermon was preached at Christ Fellowship United Methodist Church in San Antonio, Texas. So uh, Paul is dealing here with something uh, in this letter to the Romans that I think all of us deal with from time to time. <clears throat> we do the very thing that we know that we're not supposed to do. We're not stupid. We're not. But we know the right thing. And then we just can't bring ourselves often to do the right thing. I, now I'm trying to lose weight. I really am. You're looking at me and you're saying, oh, come on, you're not really. I am. I'm trying to lose weight. And yesterday I was tired and I was uh, hot and hungry. And it was Saturday. And, and it was one of those days where, uh, you've probably had one of these days at your house from time to time. One of those days where everybody in the house is just kind of on their own for meals. Um, and so that's the way it was for us yesterday. And, and uh, it was about 1.30 that I opened the refrigerator because at that point I realized Cindy was serious about us being all on our own for meals. But about 1.30 I opened the refrigerator to get something to eat and I see that there's, there's some turkey lunch meat in there. That's pretty healthy. And, and there were vegetables in there, broccoli and things like that. That's healthy. There was also a little Debbie snack cake in there. Now of course I've been, I've been all week thinking about this scripture reading, this passage. Um, and so as I unwrapped the Nutty Buddy, Ethan, by the way, we're out of Nutty Buddies. Um, so as I unwrapped the Nutty Buddy, it occurred to me, I do the very thing that I know I shouldn't do. Now, Paul, in his letter to the Romans, wasn't simply talking about making poor choices, right? Paul is dealing with sin, uh, sin that, that controls our actions, so how do we actually deal with that? Do we just concede? If we read through, Paul's writing here is a little bit confusing at times, and he goes back and forth. There's this war going on within himself. And, and uh, he at one point, you know, he goes through some of these things, and, and, and we don't really want to concede like it seems Paul does here a little bit, saying, well, well that's not really me. It's not really me that's, that's doing this. Probably most of you don't remember uh, the comedian Flip Wilson. Some of you, probably not. Flip Wilson, some of you do. Flip Wilson was a comedian, and uh, he used to do this character, Geraldine. And, and anyway, he, uh, he would shirk responsibility. And, and in his routine, he would shirk responsibility and say, the devil made me do it. And that's how he would talk high like that, right? Those, he'd say, the devil made me do it. Um, well, that was funny in the 70s, okay? <laughs> so, I say it was funny in the 70s. I, I actually looked this week to try and find a Flip Wilson clip that would be funny to show, and it just really doesn't translate well to, to these days, so I couldn't find a funny clip, but that's what he would say. The devil made me do it. Um, along those similar lines, that's kind of like, like Paul saying that the, the sin that's in me. Along those same lines, you know, there, there were the old cartoons of, of, the, of the person that would have a little angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other shoulder. They'd both be given advice to the person to do something. In the end, usually what would happen is, is the little angel would meet their demise in some humorous fashion, and then the person would go ahead and do what it is that they knew they weren't supposed to do. You surely remember 
Pinocchio. Pinocchio, uh, it was a Disney movie with Pinocchio. Uh, and Jiminy Cricket was the conscience uh, telling Pinocchio what was right, what, what Pinocchio should and shouldn't be doing. And of course, Pinocchio goes down the wrong path, doing what he knows is wrong. But in the end, Pinocchio finds redemption. And actually, there's some pretty good theological discussions we could have uh, around uh, Pinocchio. Maybe we'll do that on a family night sometime. Julie, write that down. Um, <laughs> maybe we'll do that on a family night. But, but we're dealing with Paul's letter here. And he begins his letter here even saying he doesn't understand this. He says, I don't even understand why it is that I do the things that I know are wrong to do. He's like a little kid saying, I don't know. You say, why did you do, you tell your kid, don't do that thing. You turn your back, they do the very thing you told them not to do. And you say, why did you do that? And they say, I don't know. We do that too sometimes. It's not just your kid, it's my kids too. But it's also me and Cindy and probably you as well. We do the things we don't, we know we shouldn't do and question about it. We say, I don't know why I did that. I remember I played uh, uh, high school football. There was a guy on the team, and, and the poor guy, he just couldn't do anything right. Um, the coach would tell him very explicitly, you need to do this, this, and this. Do not do this, this, and this. Next play, he would mess it up. He would blow it. Very next play, and the coach would get onto him. And as soon as the guy did what he knew what was wrong, he would do this. I don't know why he did it, but he would, he would stomp a little, and he'd hit himself in the helmet. I mean, just threw a little fit on the field. Oh, oh, constantly. I'm not going to say the guy's name because he might be listening online or something. But uh, he would do that. And finally the coach said, Guy, if you hit your helmet one more time, you know what he did? You guessed it. He said, Sorry, coach. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, but he really did. Paul, Paul says he doesn't, you know, he, he goes through this thing of saying, I don't understand why he does the very thing that he knows he shouldn't do. And then, he, and then, after he says he doesn't understand it, he actually goes on to explain it. At first, he's like, I don't know. But then he lays it out in terms of sin and grace. He says, look, okay, the law is good. Uh, it, it's, it's noble. It's kalos in Greek. Uh, is the way he describes it here. Later he uses a different word that means useful and upright in the Greek. But here he's talking about the law being noble. And sometimes the law does get a bad rap uh, in Scripture. And I think most of the time what we're, what, what's, what's trying to uh, be conveyed in New Testament uh, writings about the law, when we hear the law in a bad light, is when we're looking to the law instead of Christ doesn't necessarily mean the law is bad. It just means when we put our faith in the law instead of Christ, that's not a good thing. But Paul here is saying, the law is good. These, these things that I know to do are right are good. Fundamentally, these things are good. He's agreeing with the law. In his heart, he knows the expectations. So when he, when he doesn't follow the law, it's not because he's a conscientious objector to the law. He's not going against you know, the United Methodist Book of Discipline uh, because he doesn't agree with it. He's disobedient in spite of being in full agreement with the law. He concludes 
that his disobedience must be due to sin. Now, saying this, he's not avoiding personal responsibility here. He's not doing the Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it. He's not, <laughs> can't even say it in regular, he's not saying that. He's acknowledging that there remains a sinful nature to himself. There's, a, there's an element still of, of the flesh or the world that remains in him that wages war against this kalos, this, this nobility of grace bestowed upon him. He acknowledges this battle that rages within him, this, this ongoing flow of temptation that comes his way. And we all endure that same type of struggle uh, probably every day in some form or fashion. We see Christians, unfortunately, falling to temptation all the time. We see prominent pastors being charged with awful crimes or at the very least dereliction of their office. We see good people, often Christian people, embezzling money from Nonprofits, things like that. Pornography is a billion dollar industry. And Little Debbie snack cakes lurk everywhere. <laughs> Sin makes us captives, makes us prisoners, makes us slaves, really. There was a time that Paul knows when sin owned him. And even now, as we read, now that he's no longer owned by sin, but is in fact a new creation, that battle, the battle remains. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. Baptism doesn't magically take this temptation away. And I'm sorry to say, Nolan, confirmation doesn't just magically take temptation away. The bad news is that temptation, the desires of the flesh, sin, whatever you want to call it, those things continue to nag at us. But like Paul, we learn from our mistakes, from where it is that we put our faith. Like Paul, we must turn to God, turn to Jesus, our Savior, even and especially when we stumble, especially when we do the very thing that we know we're not supposed to do. Because we have put on this new life in Christ and want to do good even when there's this ever-present reality of evil. It's impossible, see, for us to resist when we rely only on ourselves to avoid it. We don't simply don't have that power within us without God, without the Holy Spirit. Not only are we sinful, but we're selfish as well. And selfishness also often leads us to doing what it is we feel like doing right now. Selfishness tells us, oh, this, this feels good. This is what I want. This is what I deserve. Sin, sin takes morality out of our judgment. Sin takes morality out of our judgment. Paul admits here, as he's dealing with this, he says, I am a wretched man, wretched man that I am. Paul says, I can't stop myself. And in his despair, he cries out, who can save me from this death? Who can save me from this death? Paul, usually very confident Paul, even in his writings, if you read through 
uh, many of his letters, he seems almost self-righteous and boastful much of the time. That same Paul that I'm talking about humbles himself here in this letter to the Romans. And I think Paul realizes how important it is to win this battle of good and evil. I think he also realizes that each of us, each of the people that he's writing this to, deals with that same battle. He knows how important it is to deal with this battle of good and evil that rages within all of us. Paul realizes that even an apostle, even a super apostle like himself, is defenseless against sin by himself. Strong Paul. Paul, the mentor of, of many. Uh, Paul, the one who, who stood up to Peter even. Paul, who endured many hardships, was in prison for his faith. That same strong super apostle Paul points out that even he needs a savior. Who can save me from my wretched self? He says, he follows that with this. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's his proclamation. Paul goes on then in chapter 8, following this, this passage of scripture, he goes on in chapter 8 to talk about living life in the Holy Spirit because that's how we deal with that battle that rages between good and evil within us. Paul talks about living life in the Holy Spirit. Paul proclaims that Jesus has given himself as a sin offering. We share, see, in Christ's sufferings, but we also share in Christ's glory. So in a nutshell here, we, we can't deal with sin on our own. And, and as we struggle uh, to defeat sin with the, with the leading of the Holy Spirit, it's the Spirit that raises us to victory in that battle. And as our, as our sinful nature causes us to turn from the Spirit and give in to sin, yet the, the grace of Jesus Christ offers forgiveness to those who repent. The grace, hear that, the grace of Jesus Christ offers forgiveness to those who repent. The grace of Jesus Christ offers redemption to us sinners. We all have battles within us. We struggle to resist evil. We struggle to resist that which we know we shouldn't do. And we struggle to do what we know we should do. We have to keep fighting those battles. We have to do it, but we don't do it alone. Fighting alone is a losing proposition, but fighting alongside the Holy Spirit strengthens us. See, Paul concluded that the war has been won. The war has been won when Jesus Christ gave himself on the cross at Calvary, when, when Jesus was crucified. If we talk in more modern-day war terms, Paul would say Jesus dropped the big one when he offered himself as a sacrifice. And we honor him by calling upon the strength of the Spirit to sustain us in this new life that we live in Christ. He says in in chapter 8, verse 6 of his letter to the Romans, following what we read today, chapter 8, verse 6, he says this, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Life and peace be with you. God bless you. 
We'd like to invite you to worship with us at Christ Fellowship United Methodist Church in San Antonio, Texas. Check us out on Facebook or visit our webpage at www.cfumcsa.org.